right, welcome everyone to part two of tonight's Dan and Joe Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. Now, Joe. Well, Joe, uh, before we get into the pro side of this, I did want to briefly talk about uh, Chad Morris's firing. Of course, we had a friend of the show, Lindsey, on last week. who did such a good job talking about Arkansas football and kind of the pulse of the fan base there in Fayetteville. Um, Joe, I'll be honest, I, I did see this uh, Western Kentucky game as, as probably a worrisome game that maybe they would get, give Arkansas a tight one and it would not be a comfortable game for Hog fans, but I had no idea that they'd go out and get beat by 27 points by the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. What an embarrassing performance. Yeah, that's true, Dan. Um, I did not see that score coming at all. Um, I thought that Arkansas would probably win a narrow uh, you know, game, uh, maybe by one possession, maybe three points. But to get blown out that way, I feel like Arkansas was definitely moving towards firing Chad Morris at the end of the season. But they just expedited that move after losing now to both um, Western Kentucky and San Jose State in the same season. Um, Chad Morris failed to win a single SEC game um, in over a year and a half in Fayetteville. They definitely expect better than that. They deserve better than that. And hopefully for them, they'll get in a, a much better head coach like maybe a Mike Norvell um, that can lead them in a better direction. Yeah, Joe, I mean uh... – I was rooting for Chad Morris. He seems like a nice guy. I kind of like the stories of guys who come from the high school levels, kind of like Gus Malzahn, and have a good level of success in college. And unfortunately for Chad Morris, it seems like every time he leaves a place, they get better. And when he's there, it's not quite as good as what you expected. And the sad thing about it is I feel like Arkansas was giving him a little bit of a leash. And I don't even necessarily know, Joe, if it's the fact that they lost this game to Western Kentucky it's the way they lost it to him. I think you maybe could have sold yourself to have at least another week to, to be a coach if you were Chad Morris if you lost in like a last-second field goal or something like that. But when you go out and you get beat in every sense of the word, 46-19, to 19, in a game where your offense does nothing, your defense can't stop them, you know, can't catch a cold, then what's your argument for being as a coach? You, you can't go out and lose to a Sun Belt team by 30 points after not winning in the SEC games. So I, I hate it for them, but you had to at least be competitive against the teams you're supposed to win. And if you're not going to win, at least have it be a tight game. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you, you, you hate it for him, but you just can't um, really you know, make a case for keeping him. Um, I think really the, the only suspense was whether it was going to be now or at the end of the season. And, like you said, you know, you're just not competitive at all against um, Western Kentucky. They decided that it was better not to wait and try to get in on the sweepstakes, you know, for some of these coaches that are going to be available. Um, I definitely think that Chad Morris will have a future in coaching because he is really a great coordinator, a great recruiter, but just um, for whatever reason, not working out for him as a head coach. And, will be interesting to see uh, where Arkansas goes for their next head coach, whether it's Norvell or somebody else. This is a program, you know, with a good tradition in years past, but just the last seven or eight years, they've just um, been dealing with a lot of uh, um, struggles, and hopefully they'll get it back going in the right direction. 
Well, John, I'll be interested to see what Norvell ends up doing because I mean, my understanding is that all of the big jobs, he's number one on the list, including Florida State, which to me it's a no-brainer to choose Florida State over Arkansas if that's what the decision is. But, you know, I'm interested to see what kind of coach wants to take Arkansas because you saw Bielema, who was a guy who was extremely successful at Wisconsin, which that's a pretty ready-made program. Most guys do well at Wisconsin. But after taking Wisconsin to, I think, three Rose Bowls in five years, really had kind of a lackluster few years in Arkansas where they were barely a bowl team. And the only thing they could do is take away Ole Miss's chance of winning an SEC championship one year. I think that was kind of the biggest uh, achievement that, that Brett Bielema had. And then Chad Morris has completely gone to hell in a handbasket. So I'm interested to see what level of coach they can attract right now. Who else other than Mike Norvell? And I guess let's let's put the usual Gus Malzahn out there, even though we know that's not, not actually going to happen, uh, as like candidates out there for Arkansas. Yeah, I think if, if I'm their athletic director, I want to hire somebody that um, has won a lot where they've been. Um, and that's one reason I think the Norvell fits into a T. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of other coaches out there. Um, I think could also be intriguing uh, candidates. You know, look at UAB, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, a few other coaches, uh, App State, a few other coaches that you know won uh, lower tier programs. Because when you look at, um, I think a coaching candidate, um, Chad Morris had proven to me that he's a great recruiter, great coordinator, but had never really seen him have a whole lot of success as the head coach. His best season had been seven and five at SMU. In two losing seasons before that, and look at what SMU is doing now, right? I mean, what's that? That's a look, look at what SMU is doing right now. Exactly, exactly. I want to see someone that's won ten or eleven games like Norbit in a smaller program. That, that's the kind of candidate I'm looking for to take that next step. Well, Joe, I really like Bill Clark from UAB. I think that would be an awesome hire because you look at Bill Clark. A, you know, no matter how bad Arkansas football is right now, at least their football program wasn't shut down while you were the head coach. I mean, Bill Clark literally had the worst situation in college football that he had to build up. And he took a team that didn't exist, was able to convince a lot of people in Birmingham who are on the University of Alabama board, a.k.a. they're always going to support Alabama and Tuscaloosa over Birmingham for anything, got them to get a football program back and actually made it a successful football program, winning 11 games last year, winning Conference USA Championship, and he's maintained a pretty good level of success. But it's gone down a little bit this year, and so I think this is the time to go get Bill Clark. He hadn't, he hadn't capitalized and continued the level of success that he had, but what he has built is incredible, and I think that would be a great head coaching hire for a franchise now that had about 10 years in a row where they haven't lived up to what they want to be. Yeah, he definitely needs, you know, to leave now while his stock is still, you know, high. We've talked before about the head coach at Syracuse waiting a year too, too long, and then it's too late. You're not going to be as hot of a candidate. Yeah. Well, Joe, speaking of some hot takes we have right now, uh, Ohio State, the number one team in America, Probably tomorrow night LSU will jump over them, but that's you know that, that doesn't really matter. Ohio State's Heisman Trophy candidate player Chase Young looks like he's he's been suspended at least for the next four games, while 
the NCAA is looking into impermissible benefits, which what a shocker, Joe. Ohio State paying players. I've never heard of Ohio State having any uh, NCAA violations, not for tattoos, not for money, nothing. But, uh, you know, Chase Young right now, probably outside of Joe Burrow, your number two Heisman candidate, now is going to be sitting, and you wonder whether he's going to even come back and play at all in season. Yeah, I think that definitely miss the regular season, and then we'll just have to see it on whether they clear him for the Big Ten championship game or in the playoff. And he's such a difference maker that um, when they get into a big game, um, maybe even playing Penn State in a couple of weeks, I mean, you'll definitely see where they'll miss him on the defensive front. Um, he's just great at getting pressure on quarterbacks. Great at accounting for tackles for loss. He's a sack machine. I mean, he just makes the defense better when he's on the field. And if he's unable to play in the playoff, I definitely think that that would probably prevent them from being able to win the national championship. And it's a shame for them, a shame for the fans that, you know, we see something like this happen again. Um, Chase Young, I read an article about him coming into the season in Sports Illustrated about him being one of the just breakout stars this season. Um, he trained so well in the offseason, and he's come out and just, like you said, been a Heisman Trophy uh, caliber player. Which, on defense, is, is surprising. I mean, he was someone that was getting Indominus Sue level traction to get a Heisman Trophy. And, Joe, we're looking at now over 20 years since the last defensive player won the Heisman Trophy. And, of course, that was one that a lot of people were upset about with Charles Woodson winning it over Peyton Manning. But the bottom line is, Chase Young, I think he already had like 15 and a half sacks this early in the season. I think it would have been an interesting debate had he continued the level of success he was having, especially beating a team like Penn State and then, I guess, Minnesota in the the Big uh, Ten Championship game. And sadly, we don't get to see that now, which I hate because – it looks like in a year from now he could have he could have just gone to any automotive dealer in Columbus and profited off his likeness and right. fine, right? And um, you know, we're seeing it in college football, seeing it in college basketball right now with what Memphis is going through with James Wiseman, whether he's going to be able to play going forward, you know, ruled ineligible by the NCAA, and then they got a judge, you know, to allow him to play. Um, so we'll see how that goes, you know, um, as, as a fan, selfishly, you know, I want to see the best players, um, playing and, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate, you know, you, you do get some frustration with, you know, the NCAA with how, you know, they police things because, um, it, it does, you know, prevent us as fans from being able to watch, um, the best players on the big stage, but, um, those are the rules that right now, um, they have in place. Well, that's right, Joe. I wish they would have just waited to the end of the season to gone after Ohio State and Chase Young so I could have gotten to see what is an elite Ohio State defense go against somebody like a Clemson or an LSU in the college football playoff to see if they have any answers to those dynamic passing attacks. But sadly, it's like we're not going to know the, the answer to that because I really think that without Chase Young, and I've heard there's some rumblings out there that J.K. Dobbins might be next on the NCAA's hit list. If they don't have J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young, then Ohio State's not winning a national championship. And they may lose to somebody like a Penn State or Minnesota. Some people could say they're clearing the way for Alabama, but who knows? 
hey, no, I'm not going to be the one that puts out conspiracies about Alabama, but I'm sure they're going to find their way back in the playoffs somehow, regardless. <laughs> Even if Auburn beats them, they have two losses, somehow they'll put them in there. <laughs> they're never out of it. All right, Jerry, well, speaking of never being out of it, uh, this season has been a really rough one for Falcons fans. Uh, really, for Georgia sports fans in general, it's been kind of a rough one. Uh, the Falcons, I, I believe that I went on the limb and said I thought they were going to win the Super Bowl before the year. Uh, that was a terrible pick on my part. But with all of their you know, talent on offense, with having Julio, with having Calvin Ridley, Devontae Freeman, Matty Ice, terrible season. But then you have Saints and Falcons hate week. And suddenly we see this Falcons team that I thought I would see all season before the season began. And they destroyed the Saints yesterday, Joe. And it wasn't just their offense that got it done. Their offense had a good game against a very solid Saints defense. But the pass rush of the Falcons yesterday was next level. I mean, they sacked Drew Brees six times. And even though Brees isn't the most mobile quarterback, he has a very good history of dodging a rush and not getting sacked very often. Yeah, he's one of the toughest quarterbacks to sack in the NFL. He's been that way throughout his career. And the Falcons had six sacks yesterday. They had seven on the entire season coming in yesterday's game. Um, one of the key components, I think, that could possibly give you some semblance of an explanation for how the Falcons perform is that uh, Dan Quinn, their head coach, decided to um, change the uh, play calling duties for the defensive unit and gave one of the other assistant coaches, I think the linebackers coach, that responsibility. Quinn had been calling the defensive plays um, as he had hired himself as defensive coordinator coming into the season. So maybe making that small personnel change makes somewhat of a difference. But, you know, you look at this as a Saints fan, and it definitely gives you reason for concern for them to not only lose to a 1-17, but to lose the way they did, just to be dominated at home, for the offense to fail to get into the end zone. I believe that was the first time that Drew Brees um, playing at home in the Super Bowl during his tenure with the Saints has ever failed to um, be involved in a game where they scored an offensive touchdown at home. Um, it happened earlier in this season when Teddy Bridgewater was starting when they won the 12 to 10 game against Dallas, but now it's happened for a second time, the first time under Brees. Yeah, Joe, I mean, uh, the offense was absolutely anemic, and although the defense didn't play their best game, they gave up a lot of yards, they did do a good job of bending but not breaking, and the defense gave them multiple opportunities at the end to get back into it, and that was the thing that I was most frustrated about was the defense made some exceptional, exceptional interceptions. P.J. Williams made a great pick at the end. After the Saints offense installed, and then they stalled again and went three and out. It looked like something bad football teams do. And so I I was a little concerned about it. And Breeze just did not look sharp yesterday. I, you know, I, I've been saying it for a while, but I think they have to go out and actually draft a good quarterback this year. I mean, I, you know, Breeze... If he can make it one more season, I would be shocked. But this is the year that there's so many good quarterbacks coming out. I mean, you have you have Tua, you have Joe Burrow, you have uh, you, you have uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, this is a really solid quarterback draft. And next year, there's going to be Trevor Lawrence. 
And I guess you have Justin Fields, but it's not going to be as good, like, depth-wise, what you have this year. Yeah, I don't know exactly what they're going to do because there have been so many years, I feel like over the last five or six, seven years, um, as Brees has gotten older, that you felt like conventional wisdom would tell you that they would go out and draft a quarterback um, on draft day, but they really just failed to do so. Um, I think there was one time they selected a two-lane quarterback in one of the late rounds a few years ago, but outside of that, um, they pretty much just uh, made it be known that, that Brees is going to be the guy until he retires. I do think that they'll be um, at a crossroads this offseason, though, because Teddy Bridgewater is going to be offered um, a contract by somebody, and it's just going to be whether it's the Saints paying him or somebody else. I think that uh, what they do there will be completely predicated on whether Brees retires. If Brees retires, I think they probably sign Bridgewater to a long-term deal. If Brees doesn't retire, I think that Bridgewater leaves, and then they you know, could be left without um, a good backup quarterback situation, and they would desperately have to draft somebody at that point. So it'll be fascinating to see the decision that they make. Um, the last thing I did want to say real quick, going back to their loss, shockingly, to the Falcons yesterday, is that... Um, you look at the Falcons, and one thing I've been able to identify about them is that they've struggled ever since their loss in the Super Bowl. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Kyle Shanahan was such um, a great offensive play caller. And then at the point that he went to the 49ers, you've seen the Falcons' offense just not play the same. And yesterday was one example of them um, you know, playing better, playing more complimentary football from the defense. And then I mentioned the 49ers. From the Saints' standpoint, um, things are a lot tougher now because uh, the 49ers are 8-0 um, in the NFC, and the Saints um, lost the game. Um, they're, they're now 7-2, so they're you know a game and a half, I guess, or two games behind the 49ers. And the 49ers are right now tied with the Seahawks on Monday Night Football in the fourth quarter. And so by losing to the Falcons, the Saints definitely make it harder on themselves to try to get in that conversation for the number one seed. Well, Joe, we've seen the way the Saints play on the road. They need to have that home field advantage in the playoffs. Luckily for them, they do get a chance to take on the 49ers at the end of the season. But now they need someone else. Hopefully Seattle finishes the deal tonight to get at least a loss from the 49ers. So the Saints will have the chance to beat them head-to-head and get that tiebreaker. Yeah. Well, Joe, speaking of, of uh, quarterback changes that seem kind of imminent, uh, seems like right now the Panthers and Cam are going to be two ships sailing uh, opposite ways in the wind. Uh, you know, Cam, of course, got put on injured reserve this season for his Liz Frank injury. And with how well they've played uh, with, with Josh Al- I mean, with, uh, with Allen, Seems like they don't really need him as much anymore, and I believe they saved $18 million at the end of the year if they cut him. So I'd be interested to see what happens uh, next season, who Cam's playing for. Although I've heard the Bears is a team that has showing a lot of interest in him. Yeah, and justifiably so. I mean, the Bears are um, a good quarterback away from being um, one of the best teams in the NFL. I mean, as good as they were last year, they've always – the last couple of years relied on uh, 
Trubisky, you know, to not make too many mistakes, that they can actually get um, favorable quarterback play to complement that defense. They're so, so dangerous. And uh, I've said it, you know, so many times on the show, still never understood that Trubisky draft selection over Patrick Mahomes and um, Deshaun Watson. I think I never will. But uh, Cam Newton, um, it looks like he's played his uh, final game right now with the Panthers, and we'll see if he goes to Chicago or somewhere else. Um, I think also the Panthers um, are going to have to pay big money for guys like Christian McCaffrey because I think his rookie deal may expire after this season or next. So he's going to want to be paid like an MVP running back going forward. So I think that can factor in also to the decision to potentially go with uh, Allen over uh, Cam Newton. Well, yeah, and you also got to think, one of the biggest problems I've had with the Panthers over the last few years is they haven't gone and done a good job of going out and surrounding Cam with playmakers. And maybe part of that was they were paying Cam so much money. But you look at the receivers that Cam's had to deal with, when Kelvin Benjamin is the best receiver that you've had in your career at a, at a franchise, that's pathetic. I mean, they've done a terrible job of going out and being getting receiver talent. And maybe if they cut $18 million from their salary, they can actually surround Allen with some real playmakers. Because right now, I mean, they still are in a complete uh, you know, lack of receiving talent. I think Samuel is probably their best receiver. And, I mean, they use McCaffrey, and he's fantastic as an MVP candidate in running and receiving, but they don't have any high-level receivers. So I'd be interested to see if they get rid of Cam at the end of the season. If we see them make a push for some big free agent wideouts or some of the, the big guys in the draft like uh, Jerry, Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith and maybe some of the other big-time guys that are coming out of the receiver position. Yeah, they definitely need to, need to address that need. But, you know, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Panthers moving forward. Um, speaking of MVP candidates, I got to watch a little bit of Lamar Jackson yesterday. And he really just looks amazing right now. They went out and they beat one of their big rivals, the Bengals, which, of course, the Bengals right now are, uh, I think after last week, Joe, the, the, the switch has been from tanking for Tua for blowing it for Burrow. And uh, I think the, the Bengals are doing something. They're either tanking for Tua or they're blowing for Burrow because, man, they look terrible right now. And uh, Lamar Jackson just absolutely torched him yesterday, threw for over 300 yards again. And I'm really interested to see – who gets the MVP between Lamar Jackson and Christian McCaffrey? Well, first thing I would say, the Bengals that nobody's probably enjoyed their struggle more than Marvin Lewis is probably like, okay, you know, y'all want him to get rid of me, and now you know, he can't make playoffs. Uh, the second thing I would say, though, is that Lamar Jackson, he's been just electrifying this season. Um, you know, I had some uh, skepticism about him coming into the NFL because he was never. Um, a very accurate passer, um, but always a great runner, outstanding athlete, and um, he has you know put all of those doubts um, to bed for me. Just for the fact that he's continuing to be an elite runner. Um, you saw that forty-seven yard Houdini uh, like um, spin that he made um, for a touchdown yesterday against the Bengals, and then he's also just been uber efficient as a passer. He's had games through. We're going to go like 15 and 17 or 18 for 20 and not have turnovers. Um, and, and Mark Ingram has been really good um, justifying that contract. 
And they've got some young, exciting receivers like Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma. So this is just a fun team to watch, an exciting football team. And Lamar Jackson, I think he's right up there with Russell Wilson, Christian McCaffrey for the MVP race, and also Dalvin Cook is another underrated player to put into that MVP conversation. He's so far um, on pace um, for more yards than the 2012 season that Adrian Peterson had when he rushed for over 2,000. And that's definitely someone to consider right there then, because that AP season where he won the MVP was absolutely amazing when he cleared 2K. Um, You know, Joe, you were talking about the receivers that the Ravens have. I've got Hollywood Brown on my fantasy team, and I have Mark Andrews, their tight end on on my fantasy team, both of which are Oklahoma guys. So right now it seems like if you can go out and get an Oklahoma receiver or a tight end, it seems to work out pretty good for you. And the Ravens have two of them right now, and they're definitely a boomer and center in the long right now in offense. And so, exciting team right now. And, of course, they went out and beat New England last week. And I think probably a game that a lot of people were really satisfied with. Um, something I have been really satisfied with this season, and I feel like it's karma. And, you know, you get, you get blessed by the refs and the football gods, and you get to play in the Super Bowl you don't deserve to be in. But it looks like the Rams are not making the playoffs this year, and I am so happy because – they are numero uno on my hate list amongst teams right now, and I love seeing all the struggles they've had this season. Yeah, they dropped to five and four in the best division in football, the Seahawks and 49ers, and they lost uh, to a Steelers team playing with a backup quarterback, and so it definitely doesn't look good for them. No, it doesn't. Um, Joe, for some of the people and what we're about to do, it doesn't look good because they're not alive anymore. One of our great locker room talk segments that we've done over the years is Dead or Alive, and I figured we'd bring back a classic one for this week. Uh, and of course, this one, we put a person out there, and uh, we have to guess whether this person is dead or alive. And as always, our locker room talk is brought to you by our fine sponsors, uh, Ginger and Hunter Harrelson, and Beach Ball Properties. Uh, about to hit a huge cold spell, but the beach is still really pretty when it's cold outside. You may not be getting in the water but you can have some nice views and not near as many, many tourists down there. And you might not see as many Alabama fans out after they lost uh, last week, at least not going to be as uh, braggadocious. And so if you're looking for a vacation spot with less flamboyant Alabama fans and a little bit colder, give uh, Hunter and Ginger a call at Beach Ball Properties for an Orange Beach or Gulf Shores Alabama getaway. And then if you need any uh, computer help, uh, be sure to contact uh, Ryan and Daryl Bill Jensen with Jensen Computer Technologies, located right outside of Thunder, Mississippi, Hatchford, Mississippi. And um, they will help you with anything residential or commercial with uh, all of your uh, technological needs. All right, Joe. The first one that I have, I, I guess seeing Donald Trump at the Bama LSU game got me thinking all presidential. And I wanted to throw out a presidential loser for you. Uh, you may remember Bob Dole, who ran against Bill Clinton back in the 96 election, which after Bill Clinton's uh, Monica Lewinsky scandal, he still was able to beat Bob Dole. And Joe, do you think that former Republican presidential candidate Bob Dole is still alive or is he dead? Uh, I believe he is alive. Uh, I looked it up not long ago because I was curious myself. Old enough to remember the 1996 presidential election, the first one that 
uh, they, they remember a little bit too young back in the 92 election to remember that. And um, it's hard to believe that a lot of our listeners were probably born uh, post-1996. Yeah, probably so. Uh, Joe, you're correct. Bob Dole is alive, and he is a ripe 96 years of age. So maybe he's eaten enough of those Dole bananas that he's made it uh, this long in life, but still kicking right now. <laughs> All right. Um, the first one I have for you, Dan, um, I was thinking about this a few weeks ago um, around Halloween. The movie Hocus Pocus was on Freeform, and a lot of people were talking about it. And uh, Beth Midler, you know, of course, uh, one of the most popular characters in that movie, played one of you know, the sister witches. Uh, is Beth Midler still alive? Uh, Joe, I'm, I'm pretty much certain that Beth Midler is still alive. I think I saw her in something recently, and she still looked all right. I'm going to go with Beth Midler's alive, and she's like 73. That's dead on. Uh, I didn't say dead on, but. <laughs> She's 73 years old, you're right, and there has been some talks uh, contractually about bringing uh, she and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker back for a uh, Hocus Pocus sequel. All right, Joe. That would be interesting. I might, I might watch that. Uh, last one I have for you. Uh, you may remember the movie 8 Mile. Brittany Murphy. Is Brittany Murphy from 8 Mile still alive? Uh, I'm going to say that um, she is uh, deceased. Well, Joe, yes, she actually is deceased. She died back in 2009 at the night-white age of 32, which I've almost already reached that age. Really tragic death, and I remember that one. That's why it stuck out in my mind. I'm going to have time for one more. Uh, we're going we're to have to do some more another 